0: Excellent. Um, I forgot this, too. This is the official, I'm getting kind of hungry, snack sign-up sheet. Um, So I'll pass this around, and if you want to sign up. Man, there was, you guys must have taken the call seriously. I think everybody brought something to share this morning. So there is a ton, a ton of enjoyable, delicious snacks out there. Uh, let me just go back two weeks ago when Cass was here, and he talked about kind of evangelism. He used some things called the three circles, um, and he used another one called, I think he called it the graphic representation of, of, um, of evangelism, and by graphic, I think he meant illustrative, not graphic as in graphically X-rated or R-rated, just kind of more illustrative. Um, but he used this diagram. It was called the three circles, Um, Do we remember this one when he used this and there was a little video? And and here's what I've thought about this as I've kind of reflected on this over the last week or two is that I thought that this was helpful if you use it, I would say, as a color in the box of Crayolas, not the entire box of Crayolas, right? If this could be a tool for you, if this could be um, something that you could use to help somebody who might be interested in the Jesus narrative, um, it was simple, it was concise, It was clear. It just kind of helps explain the good news about Jesus, about becoming a Jesus follower. Um, But if you use this as like your stick, like as this is how you're going to approach everybody, even Jesus didn't do that, right? Jesus preached and taught. He engaged in multiple different ways. Sometimes he would encounter religious people and he would tell them something like, you need to be born again, right? When he talked to Nicodemus, sometimes he would encounter people and say, hey, you need to sell all your possessions and give them to the poor. And sometimes he would have a meal with people. Jesus didn't have like, "Hey, this is my formula for um, this is my formula for evangelism." He used a lot of different things. So if you use this as kind of something in that in that realm, I think it's I think it was excellent um, to bring someone into that life changing relationship. Um, and anybody have any further thoughts on that before we move on? And then this one too he used this was called his his one called the graphic representation um and, and again illustrative this this kind of illustrate and perhaps you've seen this before <coughs> but this kind of idea that this kind of idea that here we are sinful man and we're disconnected there's this gap between us and God, and that we're in death, we're in sin we're we're kind of separated. And there's eternal life on the other side. And then Jesus comes and creates that bridge for us to move this way. One of my, one of my thoughts about this, and I didn't get a chance to talk about this a couple weeks ago in discussion, is that the, the kind of problem, and Jesse, you said this. This is why I thought it was so profound. This is I got so excited, Jesse. I dropped my remote. Jesse, you said basically that um, the good news is not our path to God. Right, So the dominant movement in this paradigm ends up being what I have to do to get to God. right? And Jesse, you said that the good news is that it's God's path towards us. That in Jesus, God has taken the initiative to come and be with humanity. right? To me, sometimes this kind of gets over towards the religious. Here's the steps that you have to take. And you're leaning forward in your seat like you want to say something on this too. (laughs) Okay. Like you were like, you are like this. You're like, I got something to jump on this. So, so this kind of movement here, this, this, again, this, sometimes I feel like this is, here's the religious steps that you need to take to get to God. And I feel that the the gospel, really the good news is that God has already done that in Jesus, right? I think one of my, one of my favorite quotes, and it's actually just a line in a quote by a guy named Frederick Buechner, and Buechner says this. He says, the grace, or we could say the salvation or the gospel or the good news, the grace of God means something like this. Here is your life. You might never have been, but you are because the party wouldn't have been complete without you. Here is the world. Beautiful and terrible things will happen. Do not be afraid. I am with you. Nothing can ever separate us. It's for you I created the universe. I love you. There's only one catch. Like any other gift, the gift of grace can be yours only if you'll reach out and take it. And then this last sentence right here, this last little bit, where Beekner says that maybe being able to reach out and take it is a gift too, right? So, Again, in this, I think it puts a lot of emphasis here on me moving towards God. And Beekner would say that God has moved towards us in Christ. And when he's done that, like all we have to do is we have to reach out and accept this gift that God, this grace, this good news, the salvation, right? And again, that last little line that Beekner throws in on it, maybe being able to reach out and take it, even that. Even like our response in this, Beekner would say, is a gift. So those kind of two things on evangelism, I, I, I wanted to kind of circle back around to. Um, yeah, jump in on it. Yep. My whole reason behind that comment was, when you start out in the Old Testament and go into New, you know, God's not the existence of God is not the punchline at the end of the story. It's the beginning of everything. hmm mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, okay, so here is how it all comes to you. Right. And, you know, obviously there was a modern interpretation the, the, the new the Testament would kind of bring it up to the modern times of how it all just sort of connects together. Um, you know, so it, it's, it's not like you're waiting for the end of the joke and then that, bam. Oh, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. God exists.
1: Yeah. You know, it's like God exists first and then this is how it keeps moving on and this is how it all
0: yeah. came where we are right now. Right, yeah, and I, I think that's important because sometimes we can com- kind of put the wrong... The wrong emphasis on the wrong syllable, and and we we can get salvation into such a myopic, such a it's just me and my relationship with God, and we have to we have to forget that the emphasis has always and always will be on the presence and um, the power and the initiative of God in this world, right? So, um, so that's just some thoughts. But thank you, and Jesse, when you were talking, I think that was kind of I was sitting there just scribbling that down. It was it was a profound kind of thought that I wanted to, to to circle back around to. So speaking of circles, I got a few circles. Cass, again, used this circle diagram um, last week. I got a couple circles that I want to talk about myself. Um, this is just kind of a one-off, but, you know, at the kind of end of 2019, you'll see a lot of these lists, right? And, and sometimes people like to post on their dish- different social media. This is my buddy Keyes, one of my professors. Um, Here's his best books of 2019, right? So sometimes people like to kind of talk about best books or, um, all those sorts of things. Uh, for me, I, I didn't post my best books, but I will share my best books, my best book. It was this one. It's called The Critical Journey, Stages in the Life of Faith. Now, this book was assigned to me for my master's program. This is, has the most generic, ugly, shade of green, um, bad font, second edition, um, Like, this is the designer's worst nightmare right here. Would anybody? Like, this is just, and I'm looking at this book and I'm like, oh man, how many pages is this? 256 pages I gotta get through? Huh? No, I mean, it's. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, this is then I'm like, oh man, why did she (laughs) assign me this book, right? So I get to this book, and this book honestly is just to a T, the cliche, don't judge a book by its cover. Just absolutely, um, this is like Columbus discovering America, big um, kind of a book. This is the splitting of the atom type deal. Um, It's a brilliant, brilliant book. And it's, like I said, I think it's one of the most important I've read in a while. And I want to outline it this morning. Um, I've been thinking about this for a while. So I want to begin by talking, though, because The Critical Journey talks a lot about transformation. How does transformation occur? And I want to begin by talking about transformation. Because about a year ago, a lot of you guys know that my, sorry, I'm going to put you on. I don't even know if you know I was going to talk about you this morning. My wife started a health journey, right? It was with a company called Octavia, um, And the principle was simple that she did. It was, you would eat these kind of simple, um, limited, selected fuelings multiple times a day. And then you would eat that one lean and green meal. And, you know, if you do it and you kind of take you can lose weight over time, and some of you did it, and some of you had success, and it was kind of my wife did it, and she had success by the way, this is just a great moment over here between grandpa and the <laughs> sorry um, but you know she <laughs> the transformation was was visible right um it was great it, she had a picture like kind of the before picture and the after picture, and maybe you've seen you know kind of before after pictures here on the internet, but the transformation was visible like it was a a um a definite change, right? Um, another transformation story, and we know, was when Joe came to our church, right? I remember when Joe came to our church, I remember it was November, I want to say, and I was out on the patio, and I was making coffee, and Joe, you know, November, it's cold. He comes up wearing, like, slide sandals, sweatpants, and a wife beater, and it's, it's got to be, like, in 50 degrees, right? So it's that cold morning And he comes, and he's living on a side of the house up on Santa Barbara. He was addicted. He was angry. He was hurt. He was stuck. We got him into the Long Beach Rescue Mission. Um, But the real powerful part of his story is one of the things that happened while he was at the Long Beach Rescue Mission was he was baptized, right? And Brian, you went with us when we went and and got when he was baptized. So the Long Beach Rescue Mission is partnered with a church in Long Beach called. Bethany Church, right, and so they kind of have this this strong connection between the two of them um, and when Joe was baptized at this Bethany Church, I think they had about five or six other students getting baptized that morning, right, and so these students one of the things that they would do is these these folks from the rescue mission as they were being baptized is they would tell their story, they would tell their their testimony of where they came from right, and it was it was just. A lot of, like, I was living on the streets, right? I was completely addicted to drugs. Um, I was just getting out of jail. I was, you know, angry. I was a mess. I was hurt. And God intervened in my life and turned my life around, right? And the transformation that happened with these people was, it was incredible. And I thought to myself as I sat there this morning, I don't know if I said this to you, Brian, that morning, I was like, I almost want to just kind of one morning just pack up our church and say let's just go up to that church when they do a baptism morning because it's important for us to hear and remember and know that God is still transforming lives of people in miraculous and deep ways. The majority of us sitting here in this, this morning, like our change often happens a little bit more gradually, right? And you might not notice the change or the transformation that happens, right? <clears throat> And the other problem that we have is you and I don't necessarily have a matrix or a model or kind of an understanding how transformation works in our lives, right? So maybe you sit here this morning and you have this kind of vague, fuzzy notion that you're supposed to be better than you are, right? More moral, more spiritual, more righteous, more holy, less sin, whatever it is. You kind of have this notion that I should be a little bit better than I am, but you're not. Anybody feel like that or have felt like that, right? By the way, it got cold in here, didn't it? <laughs> you have this vague, fuzzy notion that somehow if you got to wherever that marker was, that God would be happy with you. But you don't know how to get there, right? You have, again, this kind of vague, fuzzy notion that there's blessings, answered prayers, trials being met with joy, the fruit of the spirit in full blossom, etc., etc. But somehow you just kind of feel stuck in your life, right? So here's why I talk about this, because this is what this book was so able to help me understand, right? A lot of us, I would say, I don't know why this, this, um, this image came to mind, but a lot of us, this was the image. Imagine you're swimming the English Channel just for fun. Right, and you jump in the water somewhere up there in the English Channel, and you start swimming, and probably a lot of us feel that we've made some progress, but we we can't see the horizon into France, right, and we're kind of kind of certain that we're swimming in the right direction, but we don't know exactly what's happening in our life, right We don't have like a model or a matrix or a theory or some way to understand our transformation. Anybody with me on this so far? Right. Um, this book, again, was so helpful for me to understand what they would call the stages in the life of faith, these kind of stages, these moments um, in the life of faith, uh, where you have been, where you're going, and where you might be headed. Again, a brilliant, brilliant, don't judge a book by its cover book. Um, Let me lay these out for you, and then I just want to walk through each of these movements. So here's the whole book in a nutshell right here. It's called The Critical Journey, the Stages uh, in the Journey of Faith, the Recognition of God, the Life of Discipleship, the Productive Life, the Journey Inward, the Journey Outward, and then there's the Wall in there. I want to talk about that. And then the Life of Love. Um, Now, what the book does, in the book, each chapter, They go through each stage, and then there's a couple um, chapters afterwards to kind of summarize and answer some questions and talk about some different aspects. In the book, each stage gets a little bit of um, characteristics of each stage. What does each stage look like? Um, What does it look like if you're caged or you're stuck at one of these stages? Um, What are some examples, so they have some people share their examples of what it's like, to be in each one of these stages? And then what are some catalysts for movements? How would you move into the next stage? How would you kind of move into next stage? So I'm going to do a little bit, um, I want to do this up on the whiteboard. And I know that sometimes um, what's big to me is not big across the room. What's his name again? What's his name? Vance. Vance, Vance. come on up here. I need a, I need a volunteer. I need somebody to. Um, so we're just going to, it kind of reminds me of when you were in junior high, elementary school, and you did the good old web brainstorming. But we'll put stages of faith here in the middle. And then we're going to start up here. Which again, what they're gonna call the recognition of God. Okay? So here's stage one. Here's how stage one works. And then I kind of have a little C word that I'll I'll throw on, on each stage too. The the first stage I call it the conscious stage. Okay? At this stage in your life, you you understand that there is there is more to life, right? Maybe you begin to have an awareness that there is someone behind it all. That it's beyond, life is beyond just the merely physical, uh, the, the material kind of what we see here and now, right? You kind of have this awareness of like, I think there's something more in this world, right? Characteristics of stage one would be a sense of awe. You have a feeling of need or being needed. There's a, a greater natural awareness and meaning in life. There's an innocence that's discovered as you awake yourself to thinking there is something larger here a trigger to acknowledge god or to to kind of become conscious is this maybe somebody witnessed to you maybe somebody had this whiteboard and they had this 3c diagram and they said you know i want to show you the 3c's and you you were a witness to or maybe it was a family member maybe a family member talked to you about god maybe honestly maybe it could have been a sunset right a feeling of love or joy i even i think the authors sometimes you just look at a child and there's such a wonder in looking at a small child. We, have, we have a two. You, if, if, um, if Lucas wanted to come down here, they could just have at it. We can just put a little blanket down there and let them... Um, <clears throat> but there's this, there this awareness, there's this awakening um, to kind of the realness of God. We might even use just like, this is kind of when you get saved, right? When, that's kind of the generic, probably church language. It makes sense so far, right? Have I lost anybody in stage one? No? Okay, good. Stage two. So, stage two is called the life of discipleship. The life of discipleship, I call it the consuming stage. So, you have this awareness of God, and then you begin to learn. Right? You begin to learn all these things about God. You begin to learn about who Jesus is. And often at this time, you begin to belong to a church community or to a, a church a family of faith. Right? There's a movement towards a commitment to a faith community. Right? Your answers are found in a leader. Right? So you would look to your pastor or you would look to your guru or you would look to your elder or maybe your small group leader. And they have the answers. They're able to help teach you. Um, or your answers are found in a cause or in a system. There's a sense of rightness because this new community that you're a part of, they, they have the answers. They know what's going on. They have the truth. There is security in that faith and in that organization. Right? This is, again, I call it the consuming stage because at this stage, right, kind of stage two, you're primarily a taker. You're primarily a sponge soaking in and absorbing all that you can again maybe you're you're kind of new to church and you just do you remember those kind of early stages for, for those of you who have been following Jesus for a while those early stages like oh yeah I remember when I just I would go to church and like everything was a light bulb going off in my head right and you were so excited and everything was just like wow this is I'm learning all these things and people love me and they're wrapping their arms around me and they're calling me brother and sister and it Remember that stage, right? So this is called, again, the life of discipleship. The next next stage is called um, the productive stage. And the C word that I'll use here is contributing, right? So you go to this church for a while. You've been involved in this faith community. You've been going to this small group. And at one point, you begin to find your uniqueness in the community and you begin to contribute with your spiritual gifts, right? Somebody says, by the way, Mark, I think you have the gift of hospitality, right? Somebody says, by the way, Rob, I think you have the gift of leadership, right? Or I think you have this spiritual gift. And you be like, oh, I have a gift? I didn't know that. And you begin to actually kind of give back into your community. You take responsibility in your community. You're not just sitting there thinking like, oh my gosh, this is so wonderful. People love me. And But you give back. You have experience now. You have confidence. You might be leading in some area. You're setting goals for your organization. You're serving the church, right? So, you have all, so you have, these first three sta- you have these first three stages. Let me pause here for a second, and I want to throw up this image. Because what I would say here is that this is typically the end of the stages of faith. Oh, fate. Um, and what I would say is kind of modern Western American churches, right? We will get you saved. We'll get you plugged in. We'll get you serving, and we'll count on to success. Wow, thank you. You're serving the church now. You're such a great, you're an elder at the church. You're leading the church. You're setting goals for the church. And this often is the end of 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 a, of a, of a kind of a life of faith for most people in American Western churches, right? Um, my friend Jan Johnson, and when Jan was teaching me this class, she said this, I, I I almost fell out of my seat when she said this. She said, this is pretty crass, but people in stages one through three don't actually have a life with God. They just have a life of church activity, right? And there might be some time to agree or disagree with that statement later. But a lot of times here, there's just kind of this, you're just doing a lot of stuff for the church. And you might not even have a real hunger or a real life with God. It could just be a life of church activity, right? Now, we journey on. And I'm going to put stage four. I'm going to do, this is, I do, I do stage four on the wall a little bit different. So I'm going to put stage four down here, which is the inward journey. Is there any way to turn off the air? Yes, let me go see if I can. Yeah, that's all. Sorry about that, guys. Yeah, I mean, if there's there's just something, if you want to try and uh,
1: I think it's I think
0: it's just this one right here. Just turn it. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, see what happens. This could be you serving in the church this morning. You could be our new, you know, just so, I'll just I'll just give you a sign. This means up, this means down, up, down, up, down. We'll just do that. Yeah, well, we'll bang on the, if you can go in the back and you bang on the trash can and one, <laughs> one <laughs> yes, now we're getting, now you're getting me all distracted. I get started talking about the Astros and the World Series and cheating and I'll start talking about cycling and then we'll just go, we'll just be here to, huh? This is a buzzer, and and somebody buzzes me when the sermon's getting too long. They're in the back. Oh, here we go. Okay, so the inward journey. Now, here's the inward journey, and then I'm going to do this. I'm going to say, I'm going to put the wall here. I'm going to put the wall here, and I'm going to put the wall here. Now, here's the wall, okay? The wall happens when there is a pain in your life that you cannot get around, but you need to traverse through, okay? You need to traverse through. You meet in this stage of of faith, you meet God face to face. And let me tell you, things are not wonderful in this stage, okay? So you might have a statement like this. I have worked so hard for God. How could this happen to my child, right? You might have this disease that you've been diagnosed with, right? You might have this divorce that you've gone through. You might have this death that you've encountered. You might have this failure that has happened recently in your life. This wound that has been reopened. This tragedy. There is something that happens in your life. There is a pain, a struggle, a trial that you just can't get around it. It's not like, oh yeah, I can just kind of keep working harder. Like you literally just, you have to walk through that valley of dry bones, right? Sometimes the wall, uh, and the authors point this out, sometimes the wall is just boredom, okay? So in the stages of faith, right? You've been over here, and you've just been working away, and you've just done it all in the church, and you're just bored with it. You're like, oh my gosh, like, I've been an elder. I've served in the kids' ministry. I was this pastor, and I did that thing. And I'm just kind of sick and tired of it. And sometimes you've done it all, and you're bored, right? So That is sometimes what happens when you hit the wall. Now, sometimes in this, you can um, you can try and numb it, right? So you hit this wall, and sometimes we have these pains, these tragedies, these difficulties and sometimes you can numb it, and sometimes it's silly stuff, right sometimes it's like uh, you've been watching a lot of Netflix lately yeah. right and really people can just kind of binge and, and zone out and just they, just to avoid the difficulty that sometimes it's serious it's narcotics right have we are we not seen the rise of op- like opioid addiction in our culture and in our world right We distract it, we get depressed sometimes we hit this wall and we just walk away, right? So in the wall, you've been doing all this stuff for church and you encounter the wall and instead of traversing through the wall, you just actually just check out and you just walk away. And we've seen that with people too. They're super involved in the church, they're doing all this stuff. Something happens in their life that doesn't go as expected and they kind of throw their hands up and say, well, God can't be trusted. I'm done with it all, right? Right? Um, this brings us to what stage four is called the journey inward, right? Now, before I explain the journey inward, let me just say, sometimes the wall causes the journey inward. You hit this disease, this divorce, this depression, this discouragement, and sometimes that causes the journey inward. Sometimes you begin to kind of do this interior work and you hit the wall. Sometimes you begin to do this interior work and that actually causes you to hit the wall. So the wall and the journey inward, they actually kind of happen all together. Here's the journey inward. I call this the cloudy stage. This is deep and personal. It's unsettling. It's questioning, doubting, exploring, loss, grief. You might feel like you're losing your faith, your faith. You, you might feel like you are losing your faith. You aren't doing everything you used to do, but you still have this hunger for God. right? This stage, I would say, is highly vertical. Okay, It's up and down. It's you and God. You're doing this interior work, and you're saying, God, what's going on here? Let's talk about this. Because all the ways that you've understood God in the past, all the paradigms, all the dynamics, all the answers you had, they don't work anymore, right? So you begin to do this inward journey. You begin to step into this. One of the problems is that many Christian settings, we don't have, um, we don't either give the space for this journey or we don't have the resources for this journey or we don't have the knowledge on how to help people through this journey right here's what the stage four or the wall brings is it brings freedom as you begin to do this inward journey the way the authors describe freedom how brilliant is this not grasping for anything we understand freedom in our culture as being able to do whatever you want right how about freedom as a way of not grasping for anything There is a convergence here in the wall and in stage four as you do this interior work of of healing spiritually and psychologically. Because we all know that there's people in the church who are super productive in the church and we avoid them because psychologically they're a nightmare. They're irritable, they're impatient, they're bossy, right? Or they're passive aggressive, But when you begin to do this inward journey, when you have this encounter with God, when you're walking through the wall, you have this healing where not only do you have a spiritual healing, but you have like almost a psychological. You have a new kind of gravity in which you operate out of. You end your journey building your identity on yourself. It strips you of your achievements, your anxieties, your insecurities, your angst, and it helps you to, again, build a new foundation, right? Your foundation, for the most part, was built on what you do for the church. Look at that. Look how much that person serves. And they brought snacks this morning too? Wow, they must really love God, right? And it strips you of all that nonsense, right? You you build this new foundation. Now, this inner work that you do, I would say in stage four, often... You need somebody to come alongside you to help walk you through this, right? You need a counselor. You maybe are going on retreats, silent retreats or meditative retreats or or, or some sort of retreat to have some of this work done. Maybe you're seeing a spiritual director. Maybe you have a small group of people that you're very close to that are helped working with you as you kind of navigate this, this, these steps, a, a pastor, a sage, someone is, is kind of with you, understanding what you're going through, listening, being patient as you walk through. This is, this is just a stage that nobody wants to be at right here. This is just the hard kind of work, right? The wall in, in the inward stage. Now, as you move from there, you're going to move to what the, the authors call the journey outward. I call this calling or vocation. Right? So you now have a new sense um, of what you are supposed to do in this world. Okay There's a calmness to your movements, right? There's a calmness to your activity. You're not feeling burnout. You're able to pace yourself. There's a new sense of the horizontal life because your concern and focus is on others' interests, right? You accept the reality of your life with joy. So you see the difficulties, you see the struggles, you see what you've been through, and you're able to kind of say, God, this is my life, right? It's a gift, thank you. Because you've done that interior work that interior healing, and you're able to kind of move outward from there. One of the interesting things that, that the authors point out about these two stages is that sometimes these two stages, you know what they'll look like if somebody's doing it in the church? Here's what they'll say that they'll look like. People will interpret it as laziness, right? They used to do so much for the church, but they're not really doing that much anymore, right? The, the journey inward, you're probably have withdrawn from a lot of these kind of productive, busy things that you're doing. And now even in this journey outward, you're not just doing busy church stuff. You're not just doing kind of all the busy stuff. You have a calmness about you, right? You, you probably can even close your eyes and think of somebody who's like, that person just moves through life at a different pace and it's very refreshing and it's inspiring when I think about that. Right? Maybe you think about somebody in church, or, or, or maybe a mentor or a family member who's kind of been down the line a little bit more, and, and they just have like a different calling. They just have a different vocation. They just they just have a different step as they move through. Lastly, last stage. He's <laughs> excited for that last stage. It's like praise him. Sermon's almost over. They call this the life of love the life of love. I call this the compassion stage. You see God in all of life. There's no more striving. You begin to really reflect the light and love of God to the world. The authors talk about a second naivete, right? Everything's a wonder. Everything's a gift. That person who goes and they, at this point in their life, they'll stare at the sunset for, you know, 30 minutes. Like right now, if it's a sunset, I'll peek my head out the door, and i well, that's pretty. And I'll get back to doing, making dinner or whatever, you know, but they have this second night of a They get a salad, and it's like, wow, this is the most delicious salad I have ever tasted in my whole life. You know, they're like 85 or something like that. And you're like, really? This, this one right here from Subway? This is the best one we've ever had? Um, but there is this kind of, this wonder and gift. There's this rediscovery. Um, you really embody compassion, you become love. You have a deep wisdom. Um, you have a strong detachment from material things and stress. Uh, you all right, Johnny. You like fall, fall asleep? Yeah, I saw. I thought maybe you're getting excited for my sermon or something like that. You know, some Van Halen kicks. Um, <clears throat> there's a discipline and a desire to put the good of others ahead of yours, even at your own cost. Now, when I think about stage six, and when I think about getting here, I, I, for me, and, and I could be wrong, I think of, I mean, d- maybe just shout out people who come to mind. Mother Teresa would really come to mind, right? A detachment from material things and stress. A life of compassion. Anyone else come to mind? Mm. Fred Rogers would be a great example of, of stage six. Yeah, a life of love. Someone else? What's that? Maybe maybe a... Bil- yeah, I mean, I would say, I would say you know, when, when Hagberg and Gulick use this, it's obviously it's a Christian paradigm, but I think that it works in other kind of ways. So I would say like a Dalai Lama who, I don't know what he's done here in this inward wall journey. You know, I don't know kind of how, I'm not familiar with his life, but just the aura of his life would seem to indicate that. Sure. Maybe like a Billy Graham. I would say Martin Luther King would be here. Some more modern examples. Maybe like a Eugene Peterson, the guy who wrote the message. I'm just rereading his his biography. Um, Right? But this, to me, this life of love, we probably don't know too many people in this stage. But this, again, it kind of gives you something to move towards. Um, I, don't, I don't know that there's any even striving towards this. I think this kind of sneaks up on you unawares, right? This kind of like, and I don't even know if people in this life of love would be like, hey, by the way, stage sixer right here. Anybody else? You know what I mean? Like, hey, check me out. Got the. Um, uh, Hagberg and, and, and Gulick describe it like this. Stage one humbles us. Stage two grounds us. Stage three rewards us. Stage four settles, unsettles us. The wall unmasks us. Stage five transforms us. And stage six transcends us. Um, now I will say one last thing before I close this because as we think about this, again, this is a tool, right? This is a model, this is an example, right? I, as I said with the three C's, if you think that this is like the whole box of crayons, you're, you're going to come into some issues. If you use this as a tool, if this, is, this was so helpful for me just to be able to see kind of the movements, the dominant movements of faith. If you use it as a tool, if you use it as something to help guide you, I think that it's very helpful. Um, but life does not exist in just this you know, hey, I started down here, and here I am, right? Life does not list. I always say it doesn't exist on an up and to the right kind of method, right? They talk about this. If, by the way, if you can still understand what's going on here, very impressed. Um, often the way that they'll talk about it is kind of in an upward spiral, right? So a lot of times you might even kind of come through this a few times where you started here, but then you're kind of back over here, and you, you know, you know what I mean. So sometimes this, this ends up um, kind of moving upward in an upward tornado. Um, it's not just like, hey, once, you st- once you're done with stage one, you're done, and you, everything's, everything's in the past. Honestly, they say that sometimes um, stage one, and there's a lot of similarities between stage one and stage six, right? So you've hit stage one where you just have this awakening, this awe, this wonder, this naivete about this world, In stage six, you have this awakening, this awe, this wonder, this naivete about the world, right? Um, Stage three, you're productive, and you're doing, and you're working. Here, you're productive, and you're doing, and you're working, but it's just different, right? You're not working with busyness and hurry and angst and stress and all that sort of stuff. And they say that you can... So the book, again, 256 pages of that. You guys got the whole whole, most of it. Um, Again, I hope that this... Gives you some paradigm. To, this was so helpful for me when I saw this. I knew exactly where I was, and I knew exactly where my next stage was. What I need to do, kind of what's happening in my life, and I was like, "Oh, okay, that's the horizon over there that I'm shooting for. That's where I want to go. This is the next step." Again, the book then would say, "Like, hey, here's here's some some catalysts. Here's some ways to work to work towards that next step, right? To to, to go towards that. Here's some things to consider. Um, again." Don't judge a book by its cover. Maybe you didn't hear anything else in the sermon, but take that home with you. Colossians says this, and I'll say this too. It's it's not like a biblical paradigm. There isn't like, hey, by the way, but there's so much biblical truth and knowledge. It's such a great a great example for how we can grow in the life of faith. I think that Paul summarizes it when he says, From the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will, of his will, and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner fully worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Doesn't that sound like a stage six kind of person, right? Someone walking in a manner worthy of the Lord, pleasing to Him, bearing fruit, right? Like that's the goal is that we would walk with God. We would be pleasing to Him. We would bear fruit. When we talk about fruit, too, it's not just so we can say, hey, look how much fruit I have. The fruit on the tree is always for other people, right? That's why we have fruit, is for other people. So that's Colossians. Um, And again, the book is just full of scriptural examples um, for each stage. But let me do this. Let me close this in a word of prayer and then we'll just have a little bit of discussion time on this. Um, Lord, I, I, again, for me, when I, when I saw this, it was so eye-opening and it just gave me a, a quick paradigm to see where I am, where I need to go, maybe some steps. Um, I, I pray that my brothers and sisters as are sitting here, it would give them a little bit of a kind of an eye-opening, a, um, an awareness, um, just a horizon to look towards. In their life of faith, that they may not become discouraged, they may not become um, disillusioned, settle into despair or boredom, but they could look to you as the author, the one who's writing our story, and the finisher, the one who is our horizon, who is our endpoint, and we could look towards you. Thank you, Lord. Be with us now as we discuss this, as we engage this. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, A couple questions to talk about on this. Maybe you would just, what stage would you identify yourself in? And then if you're in stage one, maybe you're new to the faith. How do you experience God most by all? As a sense of need, nature, searching for greater meaning. If you're in stage two, you're just kind of new to the Christian community and just started following Jesus. When have you been uplifted by a faith or spiritual community? When have you been encouraged, inspired? Um, if you're in stage three, which of your talents or gifts do you feel good about and are willing to use? If you're in stage four, how have you felt your image of God change from earlier times? Um, if you're maybe kind of experiencing that wall, how would your life be different if you could be healed from your deepest pains. Um, And stage five, how are you experiencing the shift from vertical to horizontal living? And I didn't put stage six up there. I don't, let's just be humble this morning. (laughs) Um, So uh, maybe uh, gather around somebody and take a few minutes to discuss those and then we'll just have some, some group discussion at the end.